0: Hello, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I started Self Work almost four years ago now in order to reach those of you who might just want some new information and knowledge. Maybe you're already in therapy or you've worked in therapy with a psychologist or a mental health professional. Maybe you've just been diagnosed with depression or anxiety or you're having a relationship problem that you can't seem to surmount. But I'm also reaching out to those of you who might never think that you would darken the door of a therapist, but you're just curious enough and you're searching enough to want some answers. So welcome to all of you. Today on this podcast sponsored by BetterHelp, we're going to talk about embarrassment, the embarrassment of trying and failing. I was listening to Brene Brown's relatively new podcast called Unlocking Us and heard her use a term I didn't know, so I looked it up. The term was self-conscious emotion. What does that mean? We'll go into it. Basically, what self-conscious emotions mean is that they're emotions that require introspection. They don't come like fear or anger rapidly and almost without thought. So when thinking about failure and embarrassment, I've often said you learn a lot more from failure, and I certainly personally have done just that. But how does failure get to be something you can learn from rather than something you must avoid at all costs? Why is it that some people cannot tolerate being embarrassed and thus live extremely risk-averse lives? The listener email today is from a woman who only recently revealed sexual abuse to her therapist before not even deeming it important enough to discuss, and we'll talk about how those revelations are changing her for the better. So let's sit back and relax and talk about being embarrassed and failing. One of the things I have an expertise in doing is falling. It's not an age thing. I've fallen all my life. My eye doctor says it has something to do with poor depth perception. But whatever it is, it's made for some pretty embarrassing moments, some a little more dangerous than others. But the interesting thing about falling is that since you don't know you're about to do it, you can fall and not hurt yourself because you're not all tensed up. I recognize that that doesn't happen all the time, but I've been lucky enough to never get badly injured. I've fallen off stages, including my high school graduation stage in front of thousands of people. I just went splat onto the football field, my robe flying out like I was the flying nun or something. I've fallen off singing stages. I've fallen down a butte in Colorado when I was a child, being sure I'd seen the bottom of the butte right in front of me. I threw up all night after that as I'd done my own rendition of a human tumbleweed. I lose my balance and I just go kaplunk. By this time, my son and husband stop and laugh before they help me get up. And actually, they offer me a particular rating as if I were Nancy Kerrigan or Michelle Kwan on the ice. I was only an 8.9, Mom. (laughs) Over the years, they've become immune to any embarrassment themselves, simply telling others, don't worry, it happens all the time. It still embarrasses me, but I've accepted that grace isn't one of my virtues. I can live with that. But the other day, I was listening to Brene Brown on her new podcast, Unlocking Us, and she used a term I'd never heard, self-conscious emotions. And on that podcast, she named four emotions as being self-conscious, shame, guilt, disappointment, and embarrassment. She went on to say in a Time article that I found, guilt, embarrassment, humiliation, and shame, they're the emotions of self-consciousness. Shame, I am bad. Guilt, I did something bad. They're the two we confuse the most. The only difference between shame and humiliation is I don't feel like I deserve my humiliation, and you do feel like you deserve shame. The hallmark of embarrassment is I know I'm not alone, and it's fairly fleeting. That's interesting. So embarrassment in some ways is a way of recognizing that you're connected with others. They're noticing you and you them. So how early is it in our lives when we can become embarrassed? I looked it up, of course. And I found a really wonderful article by Dr. Michael Lewis, and I have that in your show notes. And I'm going to quote, this sounds very studious and professorial, but I probably couldn't say it better myself. And I'm quoting Dr. Lewis, embarrassment is a complex emotion that first emerges when self-awareness allows for the idea of me. At this point, the child comes to understand that she, he is the object of another's attention. The attention of others acts as an elicitor of embarrassment. So, for example, complimenting a toddler may cause the child embarrassment, even pointing to the child and saying his or her name can produce this effect. Empathy also emerges at this time, since the child can now place himself or herself in the role of the other. And gosh, I remember this with my toddler son. He, Someone would say hello to him, and he would like want me to hold him and <laughs> avoid the contact at all possible. I guess that's embarrassment. Now, to go on a bit of a tangent, in fact, just today I saw a GIF that was very funny. It was a dad kind of egging on his toddler about whether or not he'd peed or pooped. The little boy was hilarious, declaring he'd only peed in this very loud voice. But the dad was laughing so hard, tears were coming out of his eyes. And actually, the dad was kind of trying to hide his laughter. You could see the child going from showing off his ability to make his daddy laugh. But when he saw the tears... He immediately was empathic and said, you sad, Daddy? It was only after several reassurances and the dad wiping his tears away that the little boy went on to continue his delight in the attention he was getting from both parents with his performance. So it was so interesting to see right after I'd read this paragraph about embarrassment, how I saw this child tune in to his dad's tears, and he wanted to know if it was sad. That's empathy. So let's get back to Dr. Lewis. Sorry, that's a bit of a tangent. Finally, jealousy also appears since, again, the child is capable of knowing that another has what they want. These early self-conscious emotions appear around age 15 to 24 months. Now, as they get older, they include a new form of embarrassment as well, guilt, shame, pride. Embarrassment now occurs as a less intense form of shame. Okay, that's all we're going to say about Dr. Lewis. Thank you, Dr. Lewis. But this is important. Embarrassment that has morphed into something else. Not just getting unwanted or unexpected attention. All of a sudden, you're aware of doing something that's out of the ordinary or the expected. And it even may go against the norms of what people expect. For example, I'm a therapist, so people think I'm someone who is caring, and I hope I am. But years ago, in a group of women casually talking, I saw someone from my hometown who I had known fairly well in my childhood. I just didn't see her much. I asked how her mother was, and she looked at me shocked and said, You remember, Margaret, she died two years ago. I was very embarrassed and apologized. She actually didn't help much, sort of letting me swim around in my embarrassment. But I think people were a little shocked that as a therapist, I wouldn't remember that. Shy people are plagued by embarrassment, and any attention at all can make them want to run out of the room. They never got over the stage of wanting to disappear if attention came their way. In fact, I should probably do a whole episode on shyness, which I've often thought should be a diagnosis in and of itself. It's very debilitating and goes way beyond social anxiety. But let's direct ourselves to the idea of embarrassment over failure. What I found when I looked in the literature was that there are a lot of athletic coaches and leadership gurus who write about this. But I found one article that was very clear and concise. It opened with the author, who's a basketball player, talking about a classic fail while playing in high school, and how then in his professional career, he'd use that lesson to his advantage. But before we go on talking about his concerns about fearing failure or being embarrassed by it, let's hear an offer from BetterHelp, which I hope is really something you'll take advantage of. I've been doing telehealth now. This is my fifth month, and I'm much more of a believer in it than I used to be. I was delighted when BetterHelp reached out to me as a potential sponsor. What exactly is BetterHelp? BetterHelp is an online therapy service that will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not a crisis line. It's not really self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. I also tried this out, of course, for my self-work listeners, and I was very impressed with the two counselors I tried. There's a broad range of expertise and you're actually matched to the therapist that they believe will work best for you. You can have video sessions, phone sessions, you can text, and actually it's much less expensive than quote unquote normal therapy. And BetterHelp is rated number one by so many platforms that specialize in trying to help you find the best therapy online for you. There's a special offer for self-work listeners where you get 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com slash self-work. That's hel slash self-work. You could begin getting help today, and I highly recommend it. So give it a try. So back to the article, and I didn't give you his name before, it's Tyson Hartnett. Maybe some of you basketball fans know him. But he asks the question, why is fear of failure so harmful? There are five of these. One, it prevents you from stepping outside your comfort zone. One way to ensure you don't reach your potential is to simply stay where you're comfortable. This is where most of the population lives, and it's incredibly detrimental to growth. It also perpetuates fear of the unknown, he says, The longer you're cooped up in your comfort zone, the more daunting the outside world becomes. The second thing is you play not to lose. Fear of failure compels players to set goals to avoid negative outcomes rather than achieve positive ones. And he quotes some research saying that these type of goals, known as avoidance goals, are correlated with poor performance and procrastination. I know this is true for me. In fact, I did a presentation last week that i just knew i'd make mistakes and i did but i really enjoyed doing it and i remembered things as i went along because i wasn't quite so stressed out it's like okay just do this sucker and you'll be all right then he goes on to say but wait there's more bad news people who adopt avoidance goals have decreased satisfaction lower self-esteem and reduced optimism that's a bunch So the takeaway is striving for achievement rather than working to avoid failure leads to better outcomes. The third one is you hide your mistakes. Hiding your mistakes impedes learning, he says. And, you know, how else do you improve unless you learn? Recently, I was listening to some of my very first podcasts, and gosh, I was being so careful. I was enunciating quite well. (laughs) And you can tell I'm being very, very studied in my approach to the whole thing, or at least I can. And now I just kind of sit and talk. So some of that was probably good. I probably could enunciate a little bit better. But I would agree with this next one, number four. It's not as fun. This podcast is a lot more fun to do because I'm risking making mistakes. And it's something I look forward to because I'm not pushing myself to be perfect. Then number five, you can't backpedal into success. What he says is, success doesn't happen by accident. It comes through learning from failure and putting purposeful work and effort toward a specific goal. So this is great advice, especially for athletes, but also actually for all of us. But there's one very important emotional point I want to make, and one that may seem counter to the coach's advice. I think you have to sit with your embarrassment first as a feeling. What does it feel like to fail, and fail big time? You have to be in it before you move into the more proactive stance he's suggesting. Because if you don't, you're going to keep things very analytical. My own son is a golfer, and he resolutely studied his golf shots during high school when he was on the team, which ones worked, which ones didn't. He studied his failure and his success using some method he'd learned over the Internet. But it was very useful, and he got better because he was that intentional. But when his team lost in the state finals, there was no analysis. He grieved. He was embarrassed at his score because it wasn't what he'd hoped. I was very proud to see that he felt that he allowed himself to feel. I felt helpless, mind you, but it's a lot riskier to fully feel that sense of failure and sit with your embarrassment. You know rationally that tomorrow's another day, as they say. But in my experience, sitting with those very uncomfortable feelings is so important you have to grieve you have to as dr terence reel might say if you don't feel it you live it for example i see people all the time whose marriage fails what do they do they completely avoid the embarrassment they avoid the failure and grab onto the first person who's going to agree that that failure had nothing to do with them obviously it was all about their ex being embarrassed means that you have the emotional maturity to look at yourself honestly there was a mistake and there was another one, and there, and there. Not in a way to shame yourself, but to look at something squarely in the eye, admit responsibility, admit being embarrassed by what you chose to do or not to do. As I recently heard one speaker say, it's different to feel shame than it is to be shamed. Embarrassment is similar. It's different to feel embarrassed than for someone to embarrass you. So I would advise and recommend learn from failure, But don't forget to do the feeling part. Interestingly, and this is the last thing I'm going to talk about, the ability to show moderate embarrassment appears to cause others to trust you more. This is different than its more dramatic counterpart, social anxiety. I found an article in Life Science by someone named Remy Molina, and that link will be in your show notes as well. She quotes a social psychologist from the University of California, Berkeley, and he says, Embarrassment is one emotional signature of a person to whom you can entrust valuable resources. It's part of the social glue that fosters trust and cooperation in everyday life, and he did some experiments. One was a little cruel, so (laughs) I used this one instead. Participants were asked to watch a man being told he'd received a perfect score on a test. Unknown to the subjects, the man was a trained actor. In front of some of the participants, the actor responded to the news with embarrassment. While in front of others, he responded with pride. The subjects then played games with the actor that measured their trust in him. All of the findings showed that embarrassment levels reflected a person's tendency to be pro-social, and that participants who viewed embarrassed people considered him more trustworthy. Another researcher says, Moderate levels of embarrassment are signs of virtue. Our data suggests embarrassment is a good thing, not something you should fight. Not only are embarrassed people viewed as more trustworthy and therefore more likely to be better friends, they may make better romantic partners. Subjects who are easily embarrassed report higher levels of monogamy, according to the study. So all of these things are reasons to allow that embarrassment to show. Don't hide it. Don't be ashamed of it. Oh, and by the way, if we ever meet and I fall, please at least help me up and give me a score of nine-something, okay? (laughs) Our listener email today is from someone who just recently revealed sexual abuse. Here we go. First of all, I can't say how much I love listening to your podcast series and how much I've learned since listening. You've been a gift to me. I'm writing to you to share my story. I've recently separated from my husband five weeks ago. I've had an affair in the last two years of our eight-year marriage. After it was discovered three weeks ago, I realized that I was the problem in our marriage. I always felt like we didn't ever really connect. And I realized this is because I never opened up to him or allowed myself to be vulnerable or let him in or allow him in to help me. Rather than talking, I buried things until I resented him and went outside of our marriage. With this recent separation, I've been doing so much work on trying to understand myself better. I came across your podcast series and I immediately loved it. As soon as I heard you explain Perfectly Hidden Depression, I knew I had it or identified with it. I scored 18 on your questionnaire. I also revealed to my therapist last week that I was sexually abused as a child, which to be honest, I had never considered saying anything about it because I didn't think it was a big enough deal or bad enough. I also have just realized that I was emotionally neglected as a child and continue to feel that way now in regard to my relationship with my parents. I've never been taken care of by anyone. I feel so overwhelmed with everything that has happened and that I've come to realize in these past few weeks, but I also am so hopeful that this will all bring change. I'm going to buy your book today and will continue to seek professional help and lean on your podcast for support. If there's any advice you might have for me, I would really appreciate it. Wow, these kinds of emails make me so glad that I have risked and written a book because you can imagine it's an extremely vulnerable experience, but here's my answer. Wow, it sounds as if you're growing by leaps and bounds, so I for sure want to support you in that growth. Let me reassure you that you're not the first person to tell a therapist of sexual abuse that has been discounted as not important. That took courage and resolve to change. I hope your work with your therapist goes very well. Let me know how the book is helpful to you. I did a workshop this week on perfectly hidden depression, at least part one, and we'll be doing part two on August the 13th. Yeah, this is a heads up for all of you. The recording is available now on my website at drmargaretrutherford.com slash workshop. That's again, drmargaretrutherford.com slash workshop. Plus, if you'd like to join my closed Facebook group, that's another way of keeping up with presentations, etc. Sometimes I do Facebook Lives with only that group to answer questions. And that link is facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. If any of that is not your cup of tea, I'd suggest subscribing to my website at DrMargaretRutherford.com. And if you subscribe, you'll get a weekly newsletter about everything I'm doing, and that's an easy way to keep up. Also, Brene Brown's work is awesome, and it's all about vulnerability and shame. She burst onto the scene eight years ago, and actually, I just heard her say on her podcast that she'd had to self-publish her first book, which is now a New York Times bestseller, because no one thought a book on shame would sell so i go on to say she has a new podcast which is good it's called unlocking us but i think her most recent presentation on netflix is spectacular that's to all of you actually not just this listener so i hope that's helpful there may be other things that you discover along the way that you have also discounted and so your journey will be a complex one take very good care I want to thank all of you for being here today. I don't know if it's this audience or my newsletter audience or who it is, but I got 11, no, 13 new ratings or reviews on Amazon this week. So thank you. That means a huge amount. And y'all are continuing to leave reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to this podcast. And again, that's the number that people look at to say, you know, is this worth my time or not? I don't have 779 friends, (laughs) which is how many ratings and reviews I've gotten on Apple Podcasts. So thank you, thank you, thank you. My website is DrMargaretRutherford.com. And again, for those of you who might be wanting to listen to that workshop, I'm very proud of it. It's at DrMargaretRutherford.com slash workshop, as well as the workshop materials that are free, including some exercises that are samplings from the book. Perfectly Hidden Depression, the book, (laughs) not the movie, is available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and you can get it at your local bookstore as well. All you have to do is go ask them to order it. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. That is confidential. I can't answer all of them, but I will do my best to answer. Again, thank you so much for being here today. Take very good care. Stay safe and sane. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been self-work